Good morning from Westlake Village, California. It's a little different than my normal background because I'm here speaking on a conference on some of the same types of things I'll be talking to you today. So virtually every day, I hear someone describe somebody as either being narcissistic or being bipolar. And about as frequently, I see articles on the internet talking about how do we talk to somebody that's a narcissist? How do we dismiss them from our lives? So on and so forth. And every week I hear this multiple times from my clients as a communication consultant and mediator and educator. I'm Carol Barks with Before It Begins, and today I'm going to dig into this topic because I hear it so darn much, and I want you to be better at applying the terms that circulate around these topics. So after all, most of us are not practitioners or we get to diagnose whether somebody is narcissistic or bipolar. And even if we were clinicians who could diagnose people, very often the people that we're talking about are not our clients. So then that's out of bounds as well. So during our time together today, I'll be talking about the pitfalls that come with labeling people. I'll be talking with you about shoring up what I'd like you to focus on instead, and then also helping you deal with some boundaries and shadow tactics responses so that you feel a little better equipped to deal with the struggles that typically are what people are telling me that they're having. So if you really listen to me about this topic and refrain from labeling people, and just really dig into making this more about you than it is about them, you'll open the door to better communication and you'll reclaim your own power when you're dealing with difficult people. So let's begin with the actual labels themselves. So when we look at who are narcissists and who are bipolar, we really rely on a document, a a book that's put out by the American Psychiatric Association, and it's referred to as the DSM-5. And according to the DSM-5, about five and a half percent of the population or less are actual narcissists. And for bipolar, it's even smaller. It's 3% of the population or less. And those are United States numbers. But when you Think about how often you hear it. We are labeling like every other person as narcissistic. There can't be that many. So likely what you are experiencing instead is somebody who exhibits behaviors that are consistent with narcissism or consistent with somebody that has bipolar, but they're also consistent with a whole lot of other things, including being conflict adverse or being somebody who doesn't have the ability to know how to better deal with difficult conversations. And so instead, I wanna focus on the behaviors and not the diagnoses. Because as a practitioner, I can tell you that when somebody starts a conversation with me and they say, I'm having a conflict, this is what I need you to know. The other person is a narcissist. I will tell you, I do all I can to not roll my eyes I have to take a deep breath and think, oh my goodness, this person themselves is probably part of the problem. And I don't want to diminish my clients in any way, shape or form, but I do want them to get talking about the right topic. 
because if I look at the other person as the problem, then I'm going to be trying to solve them instead of the situation itself. So you're focusing on absolutely the wrong thing to get resolution. So instead, I want you to really think about what it is that we're dealing with. I want you to talk about what their processes are. So when we label people, I think the important thing for you to keep in mind is that our brain starts seeing things as different. Even little words can impact how our brains process information. So for instance, say you had witnessed an accident and the police were there and they were trying to get um, witness feedback on what would happen during the accident. And they say, how fast do you think the car was going when the accident occurred versus how fast do you think the car was going when they crashed? You would give different rates of speed just depending on that little word. You would give a higher rate of speed if they had used the word crash rather than just accident. Likewise, there was some research done back in the 60s by two researchers, Rosenthal and Jacobson, and they were looking at how do labels impact people. And they took some teachers and a classroom of kiddos who all were equal in their abilities. They told the teacher, these group of kiddos, they're going to be your star students. They're amazing. They're going to thrive. This group over here, they'll do okay, but they're not going to be as great as this group. Over the course of time, the students that were identified as star achievers actually became star achievers. And yet they were all the same going into this class. And none of them knew that the teacher had received this information. The same thing has happened with lab rats and research clinicians where the researchers have said, these lab rats, they're really good at mazes and they're just gonna knock it out of the ballpark. When they would do tests, guess which rats started getting through the mazes faster. It was the ones that the technicians thought could do it. And so when you label somebody as a narcissist, you might be setting yourself up to get back exactly how you see them. And that usually doesn't work well in relationships. So communication is really the key, not so much how we're calling the other person. So there's also just on and on about how we deal with this. So if I call you a narcissist, I'm likely going to set you off and you're not going to be very happy about communicating with me at all. And likewise, if I'm talking to um, my bestie or I'm talking to a colleague about somebody and I'm having a conflict and I'm labeling this person as a narcissist, I'm also probably hindering that person's ability to help me with good advice to get past the situation that I'm having because now they're inadvertently judging the person as bad or maladapted when really it might be me and might be my approach. And maybe they are hard. And still, we're able to work through this if we manage things better. But quite frankly, I collectively think we all are getting some more narcissistic um, behaviors or behaviors that could be identified as bipolar. And I think some of that is part of how we communicate. So post-COVID, 
we're doing a lot of emails, we're doing a lot of texting, we're doing a lot of remote work, and we're spending a heck of a lot of time on social media. It is so easy to come in hot on social media, say something mean, cruel, power taking, and then be gone. There's not a lot of accountability. And if we do that over time, we start to develop some bad habits. So again, I really want you to think about this as a byproduct of poor communication skills rather than a diagnosis. So let's focus on the things that might be more beneficial for you to understand. So there's a researcher out of the University of Washington in Seattle named John Gottman, and he studies relationships and what makes them fail. His focus is intimate partner relationship, but I've also used his research on my business clients uh, and it still holds firm. He says he, there's something he identifies as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And when these things are involved in a relationship, they signify the relationship will fail with more than 90% accuracy. One of the four signifies that the relationship will fail with 96% accuracy. If you were in Vegas betting, that would be the bet you'd want, right? And yet, we use it when we label people, and we also find it in relationships, and it's called contempt. And contempt is really where we say, if, if they just communicated the way I communicated, if they just talked the way I talked, then everything would be fine. And so we oftentimes see this in others where they say, your idea is stupid, that's not okay, it's never going to work. And then it makes us feel bad. The trick is to not react. So as we get further into our talk today, I'll give you some things to help you not react. Another thing that happens when we're thinking about somebody who we label as a narcissist is we want to criticize them. And criticism is not received well, very rarely, one in 13 times, I think the statistics are. And if you think about some of the old style performance evaluations, I'll give you an example of how that works out. I say something really nice about you, and then I say, yeah, but you kind of suck in this area and need improvement, but you're really good at this too. What do you go home and talk to your people about? You talk about the thing that I said negatively about you. Our brains can't help it. We don't like it and we fixate on it because it's the negative things that adaptively could have hurt us ancestrally. And so with that in mind, I want you to stop criticizing other people and instead, I want you to have a complaint about a process. So if I were talking about one of my family members who didn't do their dishes and the kitchen was always a mess, instead of saying, you're a slob and you never do anything in here, I do all the chores, you're just very, very dirty and it's always a disaster. Instead, I would focus on the complaint and say, I noticed when I came into the kitchen, there were dishes everywhere, and that really frustrated me. Can we talk about that? So I'm making it about the dishes, not about them. And when I do that, they're far more likely to be able to hear me. I also want to avoid global statements of always or never. I wanna be specific. 
I don't want to be here we go again. This is just like the last 10 times and this is how you always show up. Those are types of things that don't help conversations. And they're also the things that go into building those labels that we create for others. And I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but I certainly have. I can be really nice to people that I don't know, that I've just met. Even if they say weird things, I'm all in going, really? Yeah, tell me more. Okay. I don't say that's a bunch of crap. I don't believe that at all. But for people with whom I'm in a relationship, maybe I've worked with for a long time, maybe family members where we have a lifetime of baggage, they can frustrate me and I can be so much less patient and I can be so much more judgy that I have to check myself. And the same thing for you. So try so hard to lean in to people and take each conversation and each situation as one of its own. Don't pull in all the past because you'll be much better at solving it and you will show up a lot less activated than if you're piling on things from times gone by. I'd also like you to think about changing the story that you're telling yourself. If I'm telling myself that the other person is bipolar or a narcissist, I'm also probably telling myself that they're the villain in my story and I'm the victim. And we're not victims. We have the ability to do things differently and be in control of our responses. And I don't want you showing up that way because your brain then releases chemicals that then influence your feelings and then your actions. And I want your actions to be powerful actions, not victim actions. And if somebody's a villain, we're also probably not hearing them. And even if they're not talking to us in the way we prefer to be spoken to, there's probably some information in their messaging that we need to hear. And whether it's a conflict, a difficult conversation, a negotiation, it is so important to be able to hear what other people are saying and filter through all of their ineffective communication so that we can find those nuggets that lead us to a solution rather getting us roweled up. I know this is easier said than done, but we're aiming for progress, not perfection. And sometimes it will work and sometimes you'll get triggered. But reflecting on how you enter into these conversations is key. So there's some things that are called shadow tactics. There's about five and they are oftentimes used by the people that fall into the labels that I don't want you to use. And I want to share those with you as our final step into managing this population of people better. And I'm going to give it to you through an example of a negotiation I have going on right now. I am looking at some new real estate for my research lab. So I'm going to be moving offices and I have some very specific needs. I also am traveling a lot, just like today. And I don't have a ton of time to dig into this real estate process while keeping all my other balls up in the air. So I found a property that I want to uh, acquire and I'm having a heck of a time negotiating it because it's going through my real estate agent 
the other party's real estate agent and then to the other party. So there's a lot of opportunities for disaster in that game of telephone where the information doesn't get delivered appropriately. And one of the things that I want is something that I've gotten in every other real estate deal I've ever had in my life from a commercial transaction perspective. And the other agent doesn't want to give it to me. Not only does she not want to give it to me, but she doesn't even want to talk to her clients about the fact that I want it. And she says things like, in 28 years, I've never had to deal with this with anyone. It doesn't matter. She's dealing with it now. So your first response is, is when somebody puts you into the box of being the only one ever, claim the box. Somewhere along the line, lots of people were the only ones ever. And it doesn't mean there's not a conversation to be had. The next thing that can happen is people can be demeaning of your ideas. And maybe you give an idea, they say that's stupid or that's never going to work. And that's fine. Give it to them and say, what is it that you don't like about that idea? Is there another you can offer up? Give it to them to solve or invite them into the brainstorming process with you. But don't feel like you have to hold the burden of coming up with every good idea. They can defend their response and they can also tell you what they might think is a better response. Even if you don't like their response or their offer, it gives you a chance to understand where they might be coming from. And that might give you another idea for where there's an answer. They might also criticize style. They might say, you're making this so hard, you know, or you know, this could be so much easier if you just did it my way. And that's okay too. You can ask them, what is this about? If we're really working together to solve this, I get you might not like my style, but let's find a way to make this work. Sometimes people will threaten. So in this very real estate transaction, the person said, you know, there's other people who are wanting this spot. And so if she, Carol really wants this spot, she better hurry. And Carol said, if they wanted it and it was such a good deal, she wouldn't be talking to me anymore. So just by the fact that she's still engaging with me, I know that that threat is not a real threat. I also know that if the spot falls through, it wasn't the spot that was meant to be. So I'm feeling quite comfortable in saying, how about we get back to the negotiation? The final thing that people will do sometimes and when they're naughty is they will then finally, if all of these threats and these demeaning ideas fall apart, then they'll try to appeal to flattery. And then she did exactly that. Well, we would all love to have you in there and be a part of this great research that you're doing, Carol. Like, we're really excited about it. Well, if they're really excited and I appreciate their enthusiasm for the work that I do, then we better find a way that we can make this negotiation work because right now it's not heading that way. So let's lean back into the problems we're trying to solve. So again, I'm rising up about it. I'm not getting defensive about it. And these are the things that I'd like you to try as well. So wrapping up our time together today, please stop calling people narcissist and bipolar. 
the labels don't help your brain align with people in the ways that are most efficient for communication and use those tactics. Don't lean in to when somebody says you're the only one who we've ever had this with. Don't lean into that all your ideas are terrible and you start feeling defensive. We want to get defensive, rise above it. Now, these techniques and so many others are the things that I deal with daily, whether I'm speaking like I will be today, whether I'm teaching, whether I'm mediating. And if you'd like to learn more about how I can work with you or your team, please reach out to me. You can go to my website, carolbarks.com, and I would love to have a conversation about how I can meet you where you're at. I appreciate your time today, and until the next time, I'm Carol Barks with Before It